Previously in the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. This is where we try to understand what makes this event not just a race, but a life-changing experience and a genuine old-school adventure saga. I can't remember which one of us said, let me have this bar. We need to hit yes or yes. Radio yes. We knew enough to know that we didn't know what was going on. And that is unsettling. I think overall, I was really proud that we took this, you know, beautiful Hawaiian outrigger sailing. We really felt like what we were doing was for something greater than ourselves. There's hero in everyone. There's the potential for greatness in everyone. This whole experience has done nothing but light an even bigger fire under both of us. Are you ready to tie up the loose ends of this 750-mile journey? Learn about how teams managed to put this puzzle together. Get more into the minds of the R2AK family. And get the information you need to start on your own personal race to Alaska. Join us next time for the final episode in this 14-part series. Welcome back to the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. I'm Angel Mathis, the host and producer of the Boldly Went podcast, and I'm excited to be partnering with Race to Alaska to bring you this 14-part podcast following the 750-mile Race to Alaska. This is the final episode chronicling the 2019 quest to win $10,000 in a non-motorized, unsupported boat race through the iconic Inside Passage. In this podcast, we've shared with you some of the most exciting stories from 2019, and we've tried to get you as close to the action as possible without getting you seasick yourself. Stage two of the race that started on June 3rd, 2019 in Victoria, BC, officially ended on June 26th in Ketchikan, Alaska. That's approximately three weeks and two days. Every year, the end date in the race is a little different because it depends on either when the last team gets in or the arrival of the Grim Sweeper to Ketchikan, whoever's first. The Grim Sweeper starts out from Victoria two weeks after the racers start and travels about 50 miles a day. If they pass any racers along the way, they are usually awarded the status of did not finish. So here are some important stats from the 2019 race to Alaska. Number of teams that got swept by the Grim Sweeper, zero. Winner of the $10,000 prize, Team Angry Beaver. Winner of the steak knives, Team Pear Shaped. But the real winner in this race, the person who got to enjoy this experience for the longest, that award that I just made up and that's completely unofficial goes to Team We Free Men in their Chesapeake Light Craft Fairing. They received all the glory as the last boat in the race to Alaska to successfully complete the 750-mile course, finishing in the wee hours of the morning on June 26th, which was good enough to get them 25th place. As the weeks unfolded during the race, us podcasters have spent countless hours chasing down racers to talk. We found them in port on the water and over the phone, and we have so much more audio than we can possibly share, even in this 14-part series. In trying to figure out how to wrap up this big, amazing, unruly experience, 
We dug back through and pulled out clips that made us laugh, recoil with disgust, and many times made us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So I'm doing my best to pull these clips into this episode. I know you came for a feast, and you may be asking yourself, wait, is this an episode of Leftovers? The answer is yes, but like cold pizza the next day, we think it's even better than fresh, especially if you've been drinking, which we've noticed some of you like to do. There's no way to fully encapsulate the R2AK experience in a way that would be satisfying to you, the masses, so in typical R2AK fashion, we're not even gonna try. Instead, what we're giving you is the R2AK story through a series of snippets and outtakes. In the same way you use the leftover turkey carcass after Thanksgiving to make soup, we're making R2AK stew out of our favorite leftover bits from the 2019 experience. If you've listened to the previous 13 episodes, you have tasted all of the dishes. The eccentric personalities, interesting boats, harrowing challenges, inspirational speeches, questionable jokes, thoughtful participants, and shared suffering that make this race irresistible for a certain type of person. We think this final product will leave you with a delicious layered casserole of all of them. So get your forks ready. Going back to Port Townsend on the eve of the race start at the very beginning of June, we were wandering the streets and visiting the local marina. The marina was buzzing with nervous energy and we were chatting with racers who were thrilled to have made it to the start line. One of those was JT from Team Pitterack, a guy who immediately stood out to us as both thoughtful and kind. How do you expect this experience to impact your life? Like, how do you think this is going to change you or impact you? Very good question. I will spend a lot of time thinking about that probably along the way and at the end. Maybe this isn't answering your question, but my life in the last years has been impacted to lead me into this race. I don't have a wife, kids, dog, job, responsibilities, etc. So therefore, my life's become available to be a part of something like this. So... I know I'm certainly at a a transition point or or something to that effect where, where stuff's happening and I don't know. JT wasn't sure what to expect from the race or this overall adventure experience. This was true of many people we talked to. At the start of the race, visualizing a finish line 750 miles and several weeks away seemed impossible. What brings people to the start line in the first place? Clearly, the race to Alaska has an allure. Like an annoying virus, it wiggles its way in and won't let go until it runs its course, or it kills you. It was something I heard about probably a year and a half ago, a little over that, in a conversation with with my uh, employer, and she mentioned a race uh, to Alaska in a conversation, and my response was, what's that? And she'll say, oh, no. That was Doug Shoup from Team Perseverance. I don't know who his employer is, but they sound pretty rad. I mean, this first crossed my radar screen when an email landed in my inbox five years ago, just a few months before the first race. A friend, who uh, Brian Sinclair, had sent me a link to the race and said, this sounds like the kind of nutty thing you'd be interested in doing. And I was. I was immediately intrigued. 
and um, and and uh, did some further investigation. But at that point, just didn't have the resources on the ground in terms of teammates. This is an extraordinarily unusual event, and it I think attracts extraordinarily unusual people. That was Kristoff from Team Ripple, and he's right. For many extraordinarily unusual people, Race to Alaska is so attractive that it becomes an obsession. It's a puzzle in need of a solution, and that sentiment seems to be shared from the front to the back of the pack. Would you believe that Marjorie, the skipper of the 20th place finishing Team Ripple, didn't learn to sail until she turned 50? When I was younger, I I never thought I would be able to do something like this. And, you know, I started sailing and then heard about the race to Alaska and just deeply wondered if I could do it. You know, it just got, I got bitten by the bug. I just had to find out if I could learn the things that would have to be learned and and manage to, to, you know, put together a team and and make it up to catch a can. Natalie Creu, skipper of third place finishing team Shut Up and Drive, describes the allure of solving the puzzle like this. Uh, I really like the idea of the race. Uh, there's a lot of innovation in the race because the rules are very few. <laughs> so any boat really can be anything. And I just like the spirit of, of adventure. Like literally anybody can do the race, it's great. And Tom Kasberg of the steak knife winning team, yes, that second place team, pear shaped, describes it like this. It's challenging. I mean, for me, this is one of the bigger challenges I've undertaken. Yeah? Yeah, I sail a lot, but this is a tough, tough trip. What makes They're, it tough? I think it's the cold, it's being shorthanded. We're on a very technical boat that you can make mistakes, so you gotta be really careful. It goes so fast that if you, you know, if you slip over or something, it's like, you know, you're going so fast that everything you gotta be really careful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of loads and, you know, big sail areas. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we've been practicing, we feel comfortable, but it's definitely a challenge. And Matt, from the $10,000 prize-winning Team Angry Beavers, had this to say about his lusty attraction to the R2AK Challenge. This has turned into, in my opinion, such a great race, an ra- a adventure race, I guess would be a good way to describe it, because it is, it is a race, and at the same time, it's an adventure to get to Alaska without no motor and human propulsion so there's all these variables to figure out you know how do you keep your batteries charged how do you heat food and so there's a lot of thinking and processing ways of doing things and everybody has a different way of doing stuff and that's for somebody like myself that's intrigues me a desire to solve the puzzle seems to be an underlying driver of the attraction towards this race but i think The real truth that people do this is because of something much more deep-seated. You may remember Stuart Sugden as the only member of Team Three-Legged Cat who built his own boat and ended his race early after reaching his hometown of Bella Bella. He and his wife probably sum it up the best. Any other reasons? (laughs) She wanted me out of the house. So, obvious domestic reasons, but... Did you hear Stuart's wife in the background shouting out, he's crazy? I'll play it again in case you missed it. Listen carefully. She wanted me out of the house. I agree with Stuart's wife. Participants in the R2AK are a bit off their rockers. So how, then, do people convince their loved ones that going on this big, scary, challenging adventure that can take anywhere from one to four weeks is a good idea? Christoph Team Ripple suggests it's probably not possible. 
It's sometimes difficult to answer the why to a partner in a way that makes sense to them. This is not a race that entirely makes sense, but it does speak to something, I think, deep inside everybody that's participating in this event that sometimes can be difficult to articulate, but is nevertheless pretty profound and real. This. This race doesn't make sense for people who enjoy the safety and comfort of their own home, especially to people who enjoy and prioritize all of life's comforts. This race epitomizes outcast culture. There's a reason the R2AK is touted as, quote, the America's cup for dirtbags after all. When people start buying into crazy shit, when they get obsessed, when they can't stop thinking and talking about a shared goal, they find other people who share their same obsession. They make fast friends and dig in, convincing each other that their bad idea is a good idea. Then they proceed to convince themselves that no one else under the sun understands the world the way they do. People in the race to Alaska are like conspiracy theorists. Our 2 acres are the flat earthers of the sailing community. This kind of outcast culture is no stranger to us at Boldly Went. We've heard from the most extreme adventurers who range between weekend warriors and pro athletes, and we want you to know we get you. I may drive you crazy when I say Wanda Fuca and how I talk about boats and sailing culture like we're talking to elementary schoolers, but I think we at Boldly Went understand who you are at your core, and we love you for it. And it's because we're flat earthers too. Not literally, I'm just trying to say we've fallen in love with the R2AK as well. At Boldly Went, we've witnessed time and time again that micro-communities like the R2AK community are places where the richest and deepest relationships are allowed to take root. And people can actually become their most authentic selves through these experiences. We saw it in the faces of people stepping off their boats in Ketchikan. We've seen it in faces of through hikers, climbers, base jumpers, long distance open water swimmers, ultra runners, and backpackers too. We know that look, that hollowness in their eyes that doesn't have a drop more energy to prop up any facade. We also understand that you don't do it alone, but you make sacrifices to do it, and you do it for causes bigger than yourself. We at Boldly Went may be strangers to boats, but we aren't strangers at all to what brings communities together. Like this one that you're dabbling in. Hell, we wrote the book on it. It's called The Dirtbag's Guide to Life, which, by the way, is a good cure for your post-adventure hangover. Get it on Amazon and read it, but beware because you will find yourself drifting toward more crazy adventures. Shameless plug. Anyway, all that to say, we get it. We've been there ourselves, not on a boat in the race to Alaska, but in this place where you smell so bad your eyes burn and where you touch the black, that place where you feel so miserable that you're not sure if you would actually rather be dead. You question why you would ever do something this stupid and you promise yourself and the universe that if you survive, if you make it to the end, you will never, ever do anything this painful and stupid ever, ever again. Until a couple days later, and you start convincing yourself that maybe it is a good idea. That's what Lionel from Team R2 Ake, the paddle wheel boat, was processing with me when we caught up by phone a few days after he and his dad withdrew their team from the race. In the end, it, it felt like the right decision. <laughs> and 
you know, me and dad both agreed that we weren't interested in trying it again. And just today I, I was catching up with dad over lunch and we were discussing what we would hypothetically do different next year if we decided to try it again. So See, this is how it starts. The puzzle is being reworked. The virus is back and it's spreading. Just look at Marjorie from Team Ripple. So I'm Marjorie and I, I tried the R2AK last year and I didn't finish because of, you know, misfortune on our team. There was a death on the family of my teammate and uh, she had to get to a funeral. And so we stopped early and I wanted to do it again. This was her second shot at the race to Alaska because she couldn't stop working the puzzle. One of the most important pieces, and just a really good tip for all of you who are starting to get infected. You know, you want people on your team that suffer cheerfully. I'm excited to report to you that Team Ripple successfully suffered cheerfully on their Santa Cruz 27, making Marjorie's second attempt a success. Speaking of that suffering, it may seem counterintuitive, but the suffering is part of the appeal. Like every good virus, the R2AK bug makes the people it infects hurt. Here's Jake Beatty, the executive director of the Northwest Maritime Center. The secret sauce of the race is that it has to be just hard enough and a little bit annoying. By making it simple, simple is actually harder and harder is actually better. And people are more capable than they even imagine themselves to be. And all they need is the invitation. Jake's outlining a secret of the race's attraction. Racers are invited to complete a simple task that will require a lot of suffering to achieve. Get up the inside passage without a motor. There aren't many other rules that the race actually enforces. And he seems to be right about the appeal. Here's what Team Holopuni said on the docks of Ketchikan after a mayday call and a good old-fashioned Canadian Coast Guard rescue. So really, it's, it's thanking R2AK for having a race. Uh, we wouldn't have done this. We wouldn't have just gone out and decided to do this if it wasn't for your race. <laughs> right? We wouldn't have, like, say, hey, what's our next adventure? Let's do this inside passage yeah. thing. Right. I, it wasn't on our radar. Yeah. And so you actually put it on our radar, and we didn't finish, but that's not the point. Right? right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Suffering and shared struggle is what the R2AK family is built on. Not winning, losing, or even finishing. This is probably why Team Dockrat came to greet Team Halapuni as they paddled their Hawaiian outrigger canoe into the Ketchikan dock that day. Team Dockrat raced in 2018 and his claim to fame is that he's the first and to this day the only person to ever have been pulled from the race by the Grim Sweeper. That's the boat who brings up the rear that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Remember, the Grim Sweeper sets out two weeks after racers start from Victoria. They go 50 to 75 miles a day, and the rule is if the Grim Sweeper catches you, you are disqualified. This is how Team Dockrat sums up his R2AK did not finish experience. It was the most singular experience of my life. So why? Why is getting fired from something or getting extracted from an emergency situation something that makes people reflect fondly? Remember this clip from the start of this year's race with Spencer Weber and Carl Kruger, previous R2AK finishers? It's a really emotional thing. Plus it's just such a, yeah, it's just, it's like family. It's like the, the 
That there is about the closest thing to family I've ever felt. It seems so cliche, brotherhood, sisterhood, family, but it's a widely held feeling, even if people don't always call it that. Nobody does anything alone. It's naive to think that you should try to do everything alone. There are times when, you know, you can do better by collaboration. And that's what this whole event in in the big picture has been to me. You know, the Race to Alaska created an inspired community of adventurers and uh, through sort of participatory communication, a lot of collaboration and, and a lot of mutual support. That was Marjorie, Team Ripple. Team Holopuni retrieved their abandoned boat and paddled it symbolically to the dock in Ketchikan. And after Danny Geiger stepped onto the docks, these words were exchanged with race boss Daniel Evans. It's creating community outdoors, and this is like oh, know, this community is awesome. It, well, it's, it's all about the community, really. Yeah. I mean, really, the sailing is kind of—it's kind of like a you know, English muffins are just a vehicle for butter. It's like the race is a so vehicle true. for building so like true. community and having an adventurous experience and an individual growth so, experience. So, if the race to Alaska is a family and the participants are sibling, then the parents would be proud to see how the kids are supporting each other. Remember Doug Shoup of Team Perseverance? He built his own boat but broke his centerboard on stage one, so DNF'd in Victoria. That did not finish. Even though he was only in the race for a little more than a day, this was his experience of the support he received from fellow racers. Oh no, we were all, all the boaters that were on the island were there together and we were helping each other out. Just with the amount of wind that there was last night, I, my initial intent was to actually anchor the boat and sleep on board off of the anchor. And with the winds blowing as hard as they were, I wasn't really comfortable with that, so beached the boat and Actually, about six of the other racers come down and help lift the boat up above the surf line and to get it out, and then they help me relaunch it again this morning. Team Barbarossa and Team Educated Guests both entered the race to Alaska with a Melgis 24. Here, Ben of Team Barbarossa is talking about Team Educated Guests at the busy and loud racer dinner in Victoria. So we had the boat on the hard the whole winter working on it. In the meantime, Educated Guests is in their dry suits doing tacking trials off of the breakwater. We're going to get 50 tacks in in the next quarter mile. You know, They're all dialed in. They're all one design sailors. They're all mariners. They all work in the trades. They're all so cool, so talented. So we have both vessels in the, in the race, and it's a, it's a bunch of pros that have overbuilt this boat. Not overbuilt. They've, they've done incredible things to this boat. And then there's two yahoos that are like, yeah, us too. We have the same boat. In case it wasn't clear, Ben is referring to himself as one of the yahoos. Team Barbarossa, if you're wondering, didn't finish. This is the kind of race this is. A little competition, but a ton of support and admiration is extended between racers and previous year's participants and finishers. If the R2AK is a family, then Daniel Evans and Jake Beatty are the nurturing but hard-nosed parents. Daniel is the race boss and heads up all this craziness. Jake is the executive director of the Northwest Maritime Center, the major supporting organization in the race to Alaska, and who you heard earlier in this episode and in previous episodes describing the secret sauce of this race. The secret sauce of the race is that it has to be just hard enough and a little bit annoying. If you've asked yourself what kinds of people would create such a silly race requiring participants to remove one of the most important pieces of safety equipment from their boats, that's their motors, you now know these kinds of people are Jake Beatty and Daniel Evans. 
And Daniel and I often have these conversations where if we were to boil it down into two syllables apiece, he's the nice one and I'm the, I'm the annoying older brother. While I was following racers around during the race to Alaska, I spent almost every day with Daniel and watched and recorded many of his interactions with racers and others. Sometimes I told him I was recording, sometimes I didn't. What follows is my big reveal. It's true. Daniel's a really nice guy, a true dirtbag who's done his fair share of living at the crag and sailing around the world bumming on people's boats. He's got hair that looks like it came right off a Roman statue, but he usually covers it with a tattered R2AK ball cap that could stand a good wash. His look is an older Michelangelo's David when he's mowing the lawn. What I learned is that Daniel's probably the only person who cares about a racer's finish as much as the racer themselves cares about their finish. I also learned that Jake Beatty is genuinely nice too and seems to care about this probably just as much despite being the annoying older brother, which by the way, I haven't seen any evidence of. They both seem personally invested in each and every team. They know the stories of the teams and the members so well that when they talk about them, it feels like they're talking about their own family. Daniel is the charismatic face of the race, and he checks in regularly and in person with racers from start to finish. From the very start of the race, Daniel's concern for their safety ran high. Last night when all of these boats were like swirling around in the waves, so what was going through your mind? I mean, terror. His concern for racers extended beyond just their safety and race experience. When asked to recap the most important updates after the race start, this is the first thing that came to Daniel's mind. Tell us what the most important updates from the last 24 hours, so since this race started for Victoria. For most important updates? Well, I mean, probably one of the most important updates is that someone had to leave. Someone bailed, had to drop out straight away due to a family emergency. And that was Team Alpha Wolf, and they left right after they started in Victoria. So I've been thinking about them. I mean, it's that's a that's a tough thing. They put a lot of time to get here and, and be here and be part of this family. And so, but they they got important stuff to go to. So we're all kind of feeling sad for that, but hoping hoping he's around loved ones. As we proceeded north together on the media boat, and we're catching up with racers on the water, Daniel was prepared with gifts that ranged from taking video and sending messages to team's adoring fans. Here's when we caught up with Team Whip as they worked to pedal their boat during a time of non-existent wind. Hey, anything y'all wanna to say to Facebook people out there? Inspiring words from your 36 hours at sea? It's great, do it. <laughs> Daniel was also prepared with treats. Oh yeah, you want some candy? Sure. Yeah, give him a couple bags of candy. <laughs> Sometimes Daniel would even serenade teams with on-the-fly poetry. Hey y'all, we, we are going to catch tide. We're going to see you on the other side. But well, we had to come by and say hi. We looked up and we're like, oh look, there's beauty on the water. Must go towards it. Drawn like a moth to the light. Throw us a line. <laughs> oh, no, no, that would be cheating. No, you would never do that. Daniel checked in on people as much as he could, visiting them on the water whenever possible. Here's a time we caught up with Team High Seas Drifters. So, uh, I mean, you got two seats and there's only one of you pedaling. Are you the one that needs the exercise? Is that what they're saying to you? That's hard. Oh, there you go. I hear that. That makes sense. 
How's the boat treating you all? Figured we'd give you guys a chance to catch up. Countless meetings like this took place, and after some lighthearted back-and-forth banter, Daniel would always make a point of signing off with some positive and encouraging remark to motivate the team to continue pushing northward to the finish line. Hey, we're here for you, baby. We're here for you. You look great. If getting out to teams on the boat or rib wasn't possible because of weather, tides, or any other reason, touching base with teams by calling on the radio was another way Daniel would get in touch. Pitterack, 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 do you copy? Hey, how y'all doing over there? Uh, great to see ya, rounding Cape Caution, nicely done. Yeah, thank you, it was a lot of... Thank you, it was a lot of fun, we took a video. And if this wasn't an unassisted race, we'd ask to borrow your microwave to put some socks in. Over. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm, we don't have a microwave, but if, it, if we did, I would want to give it to you. I would feel that deep in my heart. Hey, Pitterack, Pitterack, do you copy? You're still on 6-9. Yes, Pitterack copies on 6-9. It's just we're speechless. We're just bubbling with joy over here this morning, listening to the water lapping along the hull as we beam reach to Bella Bella. Over. I mean, you do know that most hallucinogenics are still illegal in Canada, right? Sergi is just high on life. Graham and I have chocolate-covered coffee beans. Over. <laughs> oh, I got it, I got it. Hey, how was your evening? It was very fast. Over. It was very fast. Yeah? Uh, does that mean it was exciting or it just wasn't a lot of darkness? No, very exciting. We were sailing fast. Yesterday, once those, once you guys left in the in the rip yesterday, and and we said this is the part where we overtake Seaforth, we did, and we charged through the night. We sailed very fast. We had a beautiful evening, and it's extending on into today. Over. Yeah, it's been lovely uh, coming on y'all with that spinnaker flying as you ran in Cape Caution. Seems like pretty much a a perfect opportunity for you all to get around uh, the Cape Caution and into Fitzhugh, huh? Yes, we're a little bit wet, but we're elated with the southeast. Over. I love it. Elated. elated. Yeah. Bubbling yeah. over. Bubbling over. You got coffee beans covered in chocolate. This race is not hard enough for you. So we're going to have to figure out how to make it harder next time. Thank you. Sergey said he's up for a challenge, so I guess that'll be up to you guys to figure something out. <laughs> this is a... Uh, 30-foot sailing vessel that's quite comfy. Business as usual aboard Pitterack. Over. Alright, Roger that. Business as usual. We're going to keep on heading. It sure is beautiful to see you out here and uh, we're gonna, we'll see you up north, eh? Very much look forward. Thank you for the visit and the company yesterday in person. Yeah, we're going to see you in a little while up north. Pitterack out. Roger that, Pitterack. Uh, it's been our pleasure. Going back, uh, Ocean Watch is going back to Channel 16. That was JT from Team Pedirac on the other end of the radio from Daniel. Remember JT? He's who you heard at the beginning of this episode talking about how he wasn't sure how this adventure might impact his life. How do you expect this experience to impact your life? Like, how do you think this is going to change you or impact you? Very good question. I will spend a lot of time thinking about that probably along the way and at the end. Maybe this isn't uh, answering your question, but my life in the last years has been impacted to lead me into this race. I don't have a wife, kids, dog, job, uh, responsibilities, etc. So 
Therefore, my life's become available to be a part of something like this. JT and Team Pitarak arrived to Ketchikan to ring the finish line bell for the 12th place finish on the morning of June 14th. Drew Malcolm and Morgan Kinney of the R2AK film crew caught up with JT and interviewed him for the clip of the day that comes out every day during the race to Alaska. If you haven't seen them, watch them. But here's JT. So it was asked to me before the race, we were in Port Townsend and, and I got posed the question, how do I think this race will, will affect my life? And I realized here today that it's affected it because now each day that I'm viewing, starting yesterday and today and tomorrow, is just gonna be viewed as one last day towards next year's R2AK. If JT's heartfelt reflections and that moving music that Drew and Morgan put in there don't make you tear up just a little bit and make you go looking for the R2AK sign updates, I really don't know what will. After all of that, are you feeling the bug? Are you thinking of racing to Alaska? If so, here's what to do. First, assess if you're crazy enough. Next, even if you think you're not, ask yourself if you're looking for a true adventure that will strip you bare and take every last ounce of your energy and willpower. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, then... And she goes, I had a great idea. I mean, what's that? She goes, quit your job. That's Ben, Team Barbarossa. Even if you can't swing that, just get a boat, then get rid of its motor. I had already arranged to sell the boat I'd bought on Craigslist for last year's race, so I bought another boat on Craigslist, this one, and fixed it up for this year's race. Marjorie, Team Ripple. Bonus points if you feel you can confidently handle your boat on wide open water for 750 miles. Wait for registration to open this year. We always open registration right after the blazer party. It's the gathering that happens at the Wooden Boat Festival. It's sort of the, the full circle return to where the idea started. And people who show up there kind of get the information first. Okay, get your calendars out right now. Mark down the blazer party for September 6, 2019. Go to the R2AK website to get your tickets for the blazer party. They're $30. If you can't afford this, you can't afford Race to Alaska. Sorry, that's just the truth. Well, maybe not. You might be able to find sponsors, so start looking, especially if you think you're crazy enough and are looking for a true adventure. And go ahead and get your tickets for the blazer party, r2ak.com. Start planning how you're going to solve this puzzle. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I made it here. It, it, it was a lot harder than last year's race on the island where we had almost perfect conditions crossing. It was hard. Yesterday was a really hard row and dead dead into the wind to get to Dungeness. Uh, the stage come over here this morning and coming across this morning it was pretty chunky out there. It was it was windy, it was rough, and it was uh, a pretty pretty bouncy ride coming across. Then just follow Team Whip's advice. It's great, do it. Fun fact, we're the only bouncers to ever do the race in Alaska. If you couldn't quite hear that end part, it was Team Whip saying they're the only Belgians who have ever completed the race to Alaska. So think about what might set your team apart in the race to Alaska. I vote for being the first team to complete it wearing banana costumes for more than 75% of the time, or the first team to fuel on 100% Lutefisk for the entire race. 
Then get prepared for the beauty you're in for. And what does that mean for you to have somebody that's new that you're able to show them this thing that you love? I'm excited for her to see how this works and see what it's really like out there. You know, once we get up past Seymour Narrows and you're in that place that's just amazing and there's nothing else but you and the boat and water and maybe a couple other teams and I think she's gonna love it. Describe to somebody who's never been there who might be listening to this podcast like what it's like. It's beautiful it's just walls of trees all the way down to the water and rocks way farther out in the middle of the ocean than you think rocks should be poking up out of the ocean and God, it's, yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's just wilderness and water. Gird your loins. She's good with adversity, which is weird. And get ready for some fun and a new obsession. Why? Like, why four times? Why are you doing this? Um, because it's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. And what makes it so fun? Just, I think just the challenge of it. Just, you know, you against kind of Mother Nature and your own abilities and figuring out what you are capable of and then the kind of fantastic sense of accomplishment. But watch out, Odin from Ziska is planning a comeback and the competition is going to be fierce. Looking to put together an all high school race to Alaska team for next year, which should be interesting and fun. And if we do it next year, then we're doing it to win. So probably a high performance racing boat. I've got people in mind to do it because in Port Townsend, we've got a pretty good group of some world-class sailors. Can you feel it? Is Doug speaking for you? And I still have a bell and catch again to to ring. That's it for the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. all of you who have been listening i hope you've enjoyed this 14 part podcast it's our best stab at bringing the true robust experience of race to alaska to your ears how'd we do what suggestions do you have email them to megaphone at r2ak.com huge thanks to race to alaska for bringing this crazy adventure into the world this has been a really fun experience for us to share with you We've loved getting to know all you crazy adventurers, and we feel right at home with you. Thanks also to the teams and voices who have been part of this production. Other thanks for this podcast are attributed to Uncruise Northwest Maritime Center, Razzle Dazzle, Perseverance, Pitterack, Whip, Barbarossa, High Seas Drifters, Three-Legged Cat, Ziska, Ripple, Holopuni, Dock Rat, Pear-Shaped Racing, Shut Up and Drive, Angry Beaver, R2 Ake, Carl Kruger, Jake Beattie, Daniel Evans, Michaela Elias, audio editor and production assistant. Tim Mathis, co-writer. Episode production by Boldly Went. Also, two leftovers, bags of candy, dirt bags, intriguing puzzles, annoying brothers, the R2AK bug, unbelievable beauty, so much fun, life-changing experiences, lifelong friendships, and the Race to Alaska family. If you're still listening, thanks. Join the family get-together at the Blazer Party. Get your tickets by visiting r2ak.com. Go to events, select Blazer Party. If 14 episodes wasn't enough, Boldly Went is here for you, too. 
There is additional R2AK content and reporting on the Boldly Went website. That includes outtakes and additional interviews, and we're releasing an additional very special R2AK episode in the Boldly Went podcast. Visit BoldlyWentAdventures.com. Follow us both on Instagram and Facebook at Race to Alaska and at Boldly Went Adventures. I'm Angel Mathis, proudly bringing you this podcast in collaboration with the Race to Alaska. Thank you for making us part of the family. Ignite your adventure. You have come to a land and decided to meet that land more on its terms than your terms and figure out how you can get from A to B doing that. And that's huge. So I encourage you to never stop telling your stories. Um, it is the best thing of what you've done. And it is, it is it's part of you. It's part of all of us. And the more you tell those stories, the more everyone else can dream beyond what they think they can do because no one knows how amazing they can be. So give me that chance. All right, thanks, y'all. Yeah. <laughs>